The Big 12 men's basketball tournament comes to Kansas City in 2018. You're on Deep Background. And joining us now, as he does every year around this time, <laughs> to talk about Big 12 basketball, men's basketball, and the tournament is Blair Kirkhoff of the sports staff of the Star. Blair, thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. It's and, a great, great week for Kansas City. Well, we're going to talk about that. And, uh, you know, we did this a year ago, uh, uh, Blair, as you recall, and we talked about the future of the tournament and its popularity in Kansas City. Do we know anything more a year later about uh, its prospects and uh, how people see it and the importance of the event to our community. You, um, as far as the the future of the tournament is concerned, we we don't know more than we did a year ago. We knew last year they had just extended it uh, to, to remain in Kansas City through 2020. So we know the men's tournament is going to be here 18, 19, and, and 20. Uh, they haven't announced uh, an extension beyond that. I fully expect that to happen um, in the next few months, and I expect Kansas City to have it for really the foreseeable future. Really? But, yeah. Why is that? Well, um, it's gotten comfortable here. That's that's both a good and a bad thing, I suppose. Uh, comfortable in that uh, everybody knows where to go. Everybody, you know, it, it's conference basketball tournaments are one of two th- go one of two ways. They they either move it around, and it's never in the same place for two years in a row. The ACC is like that. It's in Greensboro one year, Tampa the next, New York. Right, right. And, or they're like the Missouri Valley Conference, well, which in is Louis. in St. Louis, or the Big 12 in Kansas City. And um, seems like the uh, momentum is to put it in one place. Well, there's some, inter- you know, I'm a, I went to Creighton Big East uh, tournament is in New York City, Madison Square. They really like it there. They do. And that's, of course, the center of the footprint of that right. conference or what historically has right. been now now that Omaha is part of that conference. <laughs> yeah. it's, a little, it's a little different. Footprint's a little bigger. And, and, and Kansas City's not exactly in the middle of the footprint of the Big 12 like it used to be when Nebraska and Missouri and Colorado were here. But now it's it, it leans more south with the four Texas schools and the two Oklahoma schools still. Uh, there, even the even the coaches from the from the southern schools acknowledge there is just no better place to have it in Kansas City. And the proof of that, I I, I think the annual proof of that is on the first night of the tournament, which is tonight. As we as we tape, as we tape, it's tonight. And what what you'll have tonight is the uh, the tenth seeded team playing the seventh seeded team in the eight versus the nine, and. More often than not, those don't include teams of any kind of local flavor. It's usually Kansas or Kansas State's not in those games often. But they still put ten to twelve to fourteen thousand people at Sprint Center to see teams that have no, you know, real interest around here. That won't and, and no real chance maybe of right. going beyond right. just right. the there, tournament. There's not much of a you know there's not much of a spectator, neutral spectator interest in those games, and yet Fans from Kansas, fans from Kansas State, and and college basketball fans in Kansas City come out and see those games, and it proves to the Big Twelve every year that uh, that, that that this is the right place. Even though technically the tournament's not in a Big Twelve state, it's in Missouri. <laughs> um, there's no better place than than Sprint Center. Now, having said all that, 
One thing that is a little different about tonight's games is Iowa State's involved, and we know about the impact of Iowa State fans to on Kansas City. They they come down Interstate 35 in droves, even when their team is bad. We'll see tonight yeah. because they haven't been in this position. They've in a won long time. in a long time, and they've won three of the last four tournaments. And then they come into this tournament as the last place team, the tenth seeded team. So that's really different. I'll be curious to see how many Iowa State fans are are there tonight. Won't be as many as in past years, but still. When we talk about the economic impact of the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City, we're usually thinking of Iowa State fans because it's one thing for a Kansas fan to drive up from Prairie Village and go back home after the game. They're not spending money. Maybe some in a restaurant or something. Right, right. But the Iowa State fan, this is vacation time. Right. This is budget, you know, spending money in Kansas City. Rent a hotel room, maybe rent a car or bar, drive down or whatever. Go to Kelly's every night yep, in Westport. Yep. And, and that's where when – when Sly James says that it has a $14 million economic impact on Kansas City, the Big 12 tournament, that's who he's talking That's where the money's coming right. from. It's from Iowa State. Fans. Do you get any sense that other cities remain interested in this tournament? I mean, that's part of the equation, too, right? That there's not an enormous outcry from Dallas or Oklahoma City. City which, or which are the other two cities, cities where, that you would think. where it's been. Uh, when it hasn't been in Kansas City. This is the 22nd Big 12 tournament and the 17th that has been in Kansas City. The, of course, they started in Kemper. And then in between the Kemper and the Sprint Center eras, they tried a couple years in Oklahoma City and three years in Dallas and did not get the draw. Particularly and, in Dallas. I right. Think it was just a, that the first day of the tournament in Dallas was just, you, right. you know, you could the balls were, the bounce of the ball was echoing in the, you know, right. in the American Airlines arena. So um, it, it's... I, again, um, hasn't been extended beyond 2020. But one thing we do know is they're bringing the women back. The women are coming back in the year 2020. So the, the Big 12 tournament started out with the men and the women playing concurrently. And, and then the women broke off and left and go to mostly in Texas and Oklahoma uh, venues. Hasn't worked out for them where they've been. And now they're coming back to Kansas City in Municipal Auditorium in 2020. So we know in that year the men and the women will play their tournaments, one at the men at Sprint, the women at Municipal, during the week. And we'll have a full week of, uh, of basketball. So um, Pretty I, big deal. It, it will be. Tell, tell me this. For those of us who don't go down there for whatever reason, is it a well-run tournament in your experience? I mean, you know, 10 teams and media from all over the Midwest and fans coming and going, parking, access. You know, a lot of visitors who may not understand Kansas City. Is it is it a fairly convenient experience for I, most of the folks who are here? That, that's a good question. I to take the temperature of the fans, especially the out of you know the, the fans that have to drive in from right. from Oklahoma or Texas, maybe never been to Kansas City Iowa. before. Yeah, um, I, I think this year will present some challenges to them that they haven't seen in previous years with uh, the the construction or in and around downtown right. uh, roads blocked off. And you you tell me is this the will this be the first year the streetcar has up and running during the Big Twelve? Uh, no, I it? think it might have been open last year for the tournament, but I but a, but a rel- I didn't know there was going to be a test. <laughs> uh, Relatively new phenomenon yes. though for downtown Kansas City is. I the think it was car. open and was used, or it may have been. I take that back. I think what happened was they wanted it open for the tournament and it wasn't maybe not, ready in may, time. May, may so not be maybe the been first there. Time. So this right. will, if so, I suspect we'll see someone will let us know one way or the other. 
right. They will. I, right. but I imagine we'll see burnt orange jackets and green jackets and red jackets right. on that thing riding from River Market to Crown But Center. do the team seem happy with the logistics, oh. the reporters, the journalists, the, the other people involved in yes. the actual playing of the basketball? Absolutely. Like I said, even coaches that have to come from far distances like coming to Kansas City, like the like the arena, uh, the players love it. It's it's a Sprint Center still a even though it's what eleven years old this year, it's a fantastic building. Right. Uh, the, the real change, Blair, uh, for us has been Sprint Center mm-hmm. the, as opposed to when it was held at the Kemper the, Arena, in the West Bottoms, and not just because of the arena, because I think Kemper was fine for the basketball. I mean, it was you know mm-hmm. it was a court, and they had two hoops and right. two nets, and, and, and eighteen thousand seats, and had... lots of seats. And I remember people would mill around, but there was nothing to do. And the the whole point of the downtown experience now, in some ways, was tailored to the Big Twelve tournament. Well, absolutely. I, I go back to the late nineteen nineties when when Kansas City was losing sports organizations right we the big the big eight became the big 12 and the office moved from kansas right. city to dallas the ncaa had left l- left from kansas city to indianapolis and took the national high school federation with them naia naia temporarily relocated in tulsa so we're on this big losing streak in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s and Kay barnes was the mayor at the time and with a basketball background her dad was a high right. school basketball coach and she got together with the national uh, Association of Basketball Coaches, which is headquartered in Kansas City, which stayed in Kansas City, didn't follow the NCAA to Indianapolis, the NABC. And the the origins of Sprint Center uh, were, were born in some of those early conversations. And those conversations included maybe a college basketball Hall of Fame that right. they could attach to Sprint Center. And Although the original idea, as you know, for that was to put it in the basement, in the of, basement municipal, of Municipal, <laughs> municipal Auditorium, which turned out not to be the optimum decision. <laughs> Thankfully, that was. It turned I remember out to be talking right with decision. our old friend Ke- Kevin Gray, who was really involved right. in all Sports of these Commission discussions. President. It used to be, uh, you know, the late Kevin Gray, great mm-hmm. guy, and he was intimately involved in this effort as a package to do Sprint. And then the Power and Light District next to it, right. which is really the difference maker. I mean, this, the arena is the arena, but if it just stood there by itself, it wouldn't have the attraction probably for most people. That Absolutely. And so, listen, um, it, you know, in, in addition to the organizations leaving, the Big 12 tournament left Kansas City as well in the in the late 90s. And this was all part of getting getting Kansas City back on a, you know, on a winning streak when it came to the, the sport of, sporting events. Um so uh, I don't I don't think it's a stretch to say that the Big 12 tournament and its importance to Kansas City helped inspire Sprint Center and therefore the Power and Light District. A billion dollar downtown investment in, in those two entities inspired by a, right. co- a, a college and basketball And it isn't tournament. just, as you well know, it's not bars, just bars, it's housing, it's all the other uh, stuff that's everything. going it's, on. It's the apartments, the two light right. apartment Well, and the Power and Light building apartments yep. and the whole excitement that goes on downtown in some ways dates back to those decisions back then. Now, you know, again, I put my politician's hat on periodically. It was not cheap. I mean, the city's paying $14 million a year just to subsidize the borrowing for power and light. It's getting asked more money for some of the apartments and stuff. So it's been at a cost. But what I always tell people is, who, who complain about that cost, it's completely legitimate. But what, what's the alternative? I mean, what, what would you have done instead? Uh, uh, if there had not been that investment, then you would have the haunted houses and all the empty right. storefronts that you used to have, and probably not the tournament at all. We we, we absolutely 
enjoy the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournaments which come in. Last year we had the men's regional, and this year the women's regional is going to be played in two weeks. Um, and with, without Sprint Center, Kansas City gets none of that. But, but also keep in mind, you, you know this as well as anybody, the idea of Sprint Center was also to put a regular tenant in there from the Correct. from the NBA or the NHL, which would have added locked in fifty you know fifty dates, right? The forty one game regular right. season for plus both some, and pre-season. some preseason games and, and possibly postseason games, and uh, and Kansas City's never had that, and that that's part of the problem financially for the Pirates. Right, it didn't because you're not putting. You're, in essence, the idea was if you had a permanent big league tenant, you would have activity in the power and light more district often. more often that resembled what you're going to have for the next week with the tournament. That's you're right. not going to have that much of a crowd, but you'll have at least some people go right. across the street. So a lot of the assumptions didn't work out. But again, I think it's a fair argument to say to folks, if you had not done this, what w- where would we be today? And uh, I think the answer is fairly clear. Well, in every... If you hadn't done it, you'd have been the, the the city in the Midwest and really around the country that didn't do it, right? Right. Omaha built a, a wonderful new arena, and it's part of their— And a, da- a new stadium for the, for the College, College World, World Series. Series. I mean, that's pretty breathtaking stuff. And that yeah. leads to my last question in this little segment, which is you do hear some rattle that other cities are doing the same things that we have done, and you get Ballpark Village in St. Louis and some of the other things— and that that will put pressure on not just the Big 12, but all sporting events that might come to Kansas City in the future based on what we have downtown. And, you know, there were some reports that tickets were still available and that we were not quite getting the crowds that maybe some people expected. Is that a danger going forward past 2020 that Oklahoma City suddenly will have the kind of thing that we have here or Dallas or Fort Worth or whatever? Well, they already do. I mean, Oklahoma City's the arena where the Thunder play is in the middle of Bricktown and, and uh, Dallas's arenas at their, at their West End uh, district. They they are the, the, they're well situated for their uh, for, for, for those buildings are well situated, but right. they also have NBA tenants, and in which the, makes it much more difficult. And in the case of Dallas, NBA and NHL tenant in that building. But you've touched on a point here. You're right. There were tickets available this year, uh, this late into the pre pregame sales of, of tickets, and that's listen. That's a discussion for a, another day. But attending live sporting events oh. is is it's a much different experience yes, now it than it used to be, and that's a threat. Not only to college sports, but, but all sports. All sports, absolutely. And, and ticket prices. And, the, you know, you go down to the Power and Light District for a Big 12, you know, game. I mean, if you're going to eat out and you're going to park and you're going to buy a ticket, it's and there are two of you, it's $100, $150 a night out. That's that's right. not cheap for a lot of people. With the alternative of watching it at home on your HDTV, in the in the comfort of your, in the comfort of your couch, with no lines for bathrooms or right, concession three steps stands. to the restroom. <laughs> yes, and, and and I this is a challenge that all all sporting leagues and, and professional and college sports are going through, and the Chiefs feel it in a big way. Even their playoff game against the Titans had thousands of empty seats, and there's just there's nothing that can be done about that. I I, I don't think I, you're not going to lower ticket prices. You, you're you not, can't. You don't. No, not not in paid player salaries and and have the same financial obligations that that these teams have. So. It's it's a, to me it's a fascinating topic going forward about what sports are going to do with empty seats in their you know in their venues. All right, we'll save that for another day. Let me take a break and then I want to talk a little bit about the state of college basketball. You're on deep background. Mm-hmm. 
back now with Blair Kirkhoff of the Star Sports Staff. I'm Dave Helling with the editorial board. We talked about this a year ago, too, and that was the cloud hanging over all collegiate sports, but maybe particularly NCAA basketball as well. And that cloud has only thickened. And in fact, I think we did a podcast a little bit on some of the uh, allegations uh, earlier, uh, or or rather in the middle of last year, uh, that are now still part of the conversation in college basketball. Some of the reporting has been a little aggressive, and uh, we're not maybe overly so, uh, overly aggressive and inaccurate in some ways. But it's undeniable that college basketball fans are waiting for some sort of shoe to drop. Does that impact interest in the sport in in the in the tournament in the NCAA tournament? I mean, do is that or are fans willing to put that part of it aside and just cheer for? Big red, <laughs> I think, or blue, or, or whatever, blue, right. or green, or an orange. <laughs> I think in March, it um, uh, it is it is a ba- it becomes a back burner topic when it when it speaks specifically to basketball, and it's because of what March Madness is and the tournament and and where we are. It's so important here and to the schools that uh, that we cover and follow, but it will be it it, w- it will be a cloud that hangs over postseason basketball starting tonight with the Big 12 and into the NCAA tournament the next week. And it'll it'll crest at the Final Four this year when, um, when, when, the, when the nation's sporting eyes are on the sport in, in one place. The NCAA tournament's in right. m- multiple venues. And, but when it comes to when, it, when, it, when they gather in the final weekend... Yeah, this everybody year, will be talking Everybody will be talking it. about it in San Antonio. And the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, holds a state of the NCAA address there. And I venture to say it'll be the, the most well-attended uh, <laughs> event of its, of its kind in, in recent years. But, but no, what was one thing that, that's a little different about this particular cloud is the reporting that, that the Yahoo Sports uh, did a couple of weeks ago. It was on a Friday afternoon, I remember. the Friday, I think, before KU played down at Texas Tech right. in Lubbock. And listed lots of schools that, was, uh, that, that was were it. potentially involved. That's right. That we, it was the first time that we saw names and, and financial figures uh, because of the register that uh, they uh, that, that, that they obtained and, and posted on, on, the, on the website. And that was different. That was different because now we now we saw specifically Kentucky and Kansas and Duke and North Carolina right. and Michigan State. Listed. But you didn't sense that the Kansas fans were overly panicked about it, or the Kentucky fans, or that they thought, "Boy, this is really you know the fuse has been lit." Am I missing something? No, there? you're right. Um, it was a it was a bombshell story. The, the, it was on a Friday morning when it uh, when it was revealed, and by the end of the day, people started asking more questions about, well, what does this really mean? Right. I mean, all we saw were names in a book and and, and, and dollar amounts, and some of them for, were as minor as an agent having dinner with a, you know, with a prospect, a 16-year-old prospect and his parents, and a kid who had not been committed to any school at that time. So. What, what does that mean? That, that there's nothing. There's nothing right. there. Of course, the one that was of the greatest local interest was the mother of Josh Jackson, the Kansas freshman from last year, right. accepting money from this agent. But she's also a, a person that that owns and operates an AAU basketball program. Who knows what she? But the money was right. For. And there was a lot of attention paid to Sean Miller and well, and that, that came out later. Right. Oh, the, actually, that story came out the same day. Sean Miller, the, supposedly hundred thousand uh, dollars. Yes, with, with a, in a telephone conversation that ESPN reported, but never heard the tape. 
And so and they really had, uh, had to back away from that story yes, big time. Yes, it, it did. And in, in, in Arizona, and maybe that played a little bit into this, Blair, where the cross currents of information seem so cloudy. What does this mean? Did this really happen? And did what, what was the context? That it's easy for a lot of sports fans to say, well, you know, call me when it's over, when you've figured it out. And it may not be over for years. Yeah. I mean, this is an FBI investigation. So. Yeah, but, but, but more broadly speaking, and I, I really value your input here, I don't, I've written for years about the uh, uh, unfairness, if you will, of the NCAA and the way it treats athletes. And most of the time when you write that, people, ah, you know, we can't pay them or whatever. I do sense a real sea change on that. I, I, I do sense that people are finally saying, broadly, the situation, particularly as it applies to basketball, is not tenable. Am I right there? Or yes, not? you're absolutely right. I, I think an, an, there's enough of a, there's a groundswell of support of, of people, high-minded people, who, who have come to the conclusion that denying an 18-year-old who has been assigned value by a professional organization and cannot capitalize on that until he's 19. Right. Even least, as the organization capitalizes. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, is unfair and, and has to be dealt with in, you know, in some significant way. Particularly with the amount of money generated by this yes, sport. Yes. This is, this is the NCAA uh, is operating on a $20 billion television contract. Um, now, most listen. It's true. Most of that money goes back into the schools. The the, the NCAA it needs about a billion dollars a year to uh, to you know it, it distributes about a billion dollars a year, and they keep thirty seven million to run its national office in, in Indianapolis. So it's not like these are greedy money grubbing people. The, the money that they generate, usually for, mostly from television revenues, goes right back to Kansas and Kansas State and Missouri and UMKC. It yeah, but ju- not to the athletes, right? But I mean, none again. of it. Other than scholarships, scholarships, and this now a stipend, right. you know, the, the the stipend that they get over the the f- full cost of attendance. Right. So, I mean, let's be fair; a lot of it goes to Bill Self, and, and a lot <laughs> and of it quant- goes to Bill know. Self, and to Bill Snyder, and, and to Conzo Martin, right. and to and and to Bruce Weber. It does, it does, and th- that's where I've always had a problem. That's to me the biggest disconnect is the the uh, the money spent on coaching salaries at the high level and the facilities that are you know turn some of these schools athletic facilities into Taj Mahals right and, right um, and the kids seem so powerless in that dynamic because they want to play basketball and maybe they want a scholarship or whatever and that's why I'm interested in this idea and I saw it again today where the NBA needs to be involved and mm-hmm. the one and done situation and maybe the minor leagues might be coming to professional basketball as opposed to what the schools are. In, in a more What's your own way. view of that sort of globally? Well, I think a few things should happen just to, just to get the whole thing started. I, I think the minimum age rule that, uh, that, that exists in basketball, the NBA doesn't want players until they're 19 years old, which basically forces them to spend a freshman year in college. Right. And you basically don't, you can only have to be a student for one semester in, in, in those cases. Josh Jackson was an example of a player like that last year. Andrew Wiggins at Kansas right. was, a, was a one and done, as we, we call them. And, uh, and I, I think that's, while the intention was, was good it, 10 years ago when the rule started, it really has become a, um, it, it, it's contributed to the problem that college basketball has Right now, so I think that I think the NBA has to either raise its minimum to 20 or 21 and make the kids go to college for three years, or just get rid of it completely right. and allow high school prodigies to come right into I saw, the NBA. I think I saw Jay Wright, who's the coach of Villanova, on television this morning, saying, "Look, 
you, if you want to get rid of the one, he said the what I, what college basketball should be is about college students. And so if you go to college, stay there for three years or mm-hmm. whatever. And if you don't want to go to college and still play basketball, then the NBA needs to create a minor league, what they call the G League now, right? At a reasonable salary. I mean, they have it now, but they're paying kids twenty five grand. It's, yeah, it's, or ridiculous. it's ridiculous. They can make more money going overseas. right, and then and it isn't as if the NBA doesn't have a big television contract either. And I guess what I'm interested in is that that may or may not be the model, but boy, you're sure hearing a lot about some fundamental changes and not this sort of sham claim that these are all amateurs and that we don't have to address this. And I just get, I'm guessing you sort of hear that too. I do. I do. One thing that's happened um, since the, when the FBI investigation was announced last September, when you and I talked about this, one thing that has happened is the NCAA has formed a, a task force that's headed by Condoleezza Rice. Findings are supposed to be out in at the in the end of April, and I think there's going to ha- these are going to have some teeth to them. I think one thing that we're going to see come out of it is college sports going to the Olympic model, where athletes who are high-profile athletes will be able to cash in on their likeness. Which another that's another thing that's always bothered right, me right. about uh, about college sports is the, the athletes don't have control of their likeness. But I yeah, think in the Olympic but model, their likeness is still sold. It's, absolutely, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, Devonte Graham's jersey number is right. being sold in the KU bookstore, and he doesn't get a doesn't dime. Get a dime from it. So yeah. I think that's going to change, and um, which is the the Olympic model. You can you can be paid to endorse products and and uh, and, and and have your jersey sold and, and, and collect on that. So I think I think that's you know I think the NBA working with the NCAA for the age limit thing. And then the college model or the Olympic model for college athletes are are two things that I would love to see happen and I, I think would help begin to clean up what we have now called the underground economy of college basketball, right. where agents and shoe runners and AAU coaches are all you know, get their claws in kids at 14, 15 years old and and sometimes puts colleges in tough positions. Yeah. Now we should be clear before we uh, wrap up that solving the problem for college basketball is very different than football. Probably, I mean, I mean, the money involved and the, uh, I mean, that's a much more difficult thing. Well, and the NFL and other things. right. Well, for for starters, there is a there is a the NFL has a rule that you can't come into its league until three years after your gra- high school graduating class. So there are no right. you know seducing 14, 15, 16 year old college you know football prospects the way there is in basketball. Right. That's that's probably the the biggest difference. But even now, they're talking about um, uh, how seven-on-seven football, which is a summer, basically a summer training league, and, and it happens in the in the warmer weather states. Um, how agents are getting their clutches in these kids now too, and and it has a potential to be a big problem. So, so as we uh, wrap up this deep background podcast, it's amazing to me, Blair, that for all of this, and since we're talking about basketball mostly, uh, let's stick on basketball. It still remains such a popular pastime for people it, I mean, it, 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 no matter how much damage is done by these stories people still like to turn on the tv or go down to the arena and watch kids shoot hoops they do and especially in our part of the country yep. i just got a i got a an email from espn the other day that um the, the regular season college basketball ratings were close to an all-time high and kansas city was the second most popular market for college basketball. I assume that's mostly because of Kansas, right? I think so. Louisville's the number one overall market. They've got Louisville and Kentucky. And, right. But but I think can, it's because of Kansas. Uh, but Missouri was good this year, too, for the first time in several years. And, you know, Missouri being good has helped uh, in, increase the But I'm amazed. Number. I mean, again, I'm a Creighton alumnus. They, they, they spend, you know, they'll get 18,000 people for home games. Oh, for, for, for basketball. Crazy. So, 
So for all the damage that's done by all this yak, people still really like the sport. They do, and but I do think people want the best for the sport too. I, I think I think a college basketball fan it's it's not somebody who says, "Well, I don't you know see no evil, hear no evil." I do think they want it to be on the up and up as much as it can be. I think that's too. a change from ten years ago. It, it might ten be. years ago people were going, "I don't want to hear about it. Don't tell me about it. I, you know, let me have my illusion that this is amateurism." I think fans today are much more sophisticated about that, but still love it anyway. <laughs> they do. They do love it. Yeah, oh, great. Blair Kirkhoff with The Star, thanks so much for being with us. I'm Dave Helling with The Star's editorial board. You've been on Deep Background. 